on the way there, John, I can vividly remember having my hand on my stomach, mm. telling this as the woman told me it was nothing more than a blob of tissue, but speaking to this blob of tissue and telling my unborn child, uh, this is the best decision for you. I'd be really selfish to do this to you. My life is a mess. I can barely take care of your sisters. Uh, please forgive me, but this is what's the best choice for me to make. And and right after I walked out of that abortion clinic, I was never the same. The woman who walks mm-hmm. into an abortion clinic is not the same one who walks out. Wow. And uh, the same woman that I talked to on the phone who secured the appointment, she could tell I was nervous. She could tell that I was unsure, took my hand and, and held it and said, uh, you remember what I told you on the phone? You're going to be fine. You're young. You can have more children later. Leave here. Never think of this again. Do you think our government would allow you to go through with this if it was going to harm you in any way? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. And then as soon as I handed her the money, $350 cash, that's how much my baby's life was worth. Mm. She looked at me and this sweet, kind, compassionate woman who I thought cared about me said, if you change your mind when you're on the table, don't ask for your money back because we don't give refunds. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. For this episode, I'm joined by Victoria Robinson, who is the author of the best-selling book, They Lied to Us. Her passion for pro-life advocacy comes from a very personal place, and in this conversation, she shares her own story and how she is now using that traumatic experience to bring hope and healing to others. I'll get to that conversation in just a moment, but as always, I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and you subscribe. You can connect with me online as well. All of my socials and contact links are in the show notes, and you can check out all of my episodes at my website, alongtheway.media. There's an easy way to join my email list and find out more about me too. I hope you check it out and you connect with me. I would love to hear from you. I also have a Patreon page if you want to help me to continue to put out these Along the Way episodes. If you'd like to become a Patreon, simply go to patreon.com slash along the way and select a level. The link to become a Patreon supporter is in my show notes. And now, here's my Along the Way conversation with Victoria Robinson. Well, Victoria Robinson, thank you so much for allowing me to join you along your way as we're having this conversation. You recently were on the Hope Today TV show that I produce, and one of the things that I love about my job is the fact that I get to interact with people like like Victoria here, and we connected the day before just to make sure that everything was good, because right now we're in the middle of our COVID lockdown, and we had to do Skyping and things like that, so we all just wanted to make sure everything was great uh, in regards of that, and Victoria, we ended up talking for about 45 minutes, and it was just like... God was in this conversation, and so I said, I need to invite her to come along the way with us, and so thank you so much for for allowing me to hear your story even more and to see how God has moved in your life. Oh, thank you, John, for having me. It's always a blessing to get asked to share, and we did talk for a long time. I can be a little long-winded sometimes. (laughs) Um, So we apologize right now if this is a longer-than-normal conversation, but it's going to be good, I guarantee you. I just, though, when I start talking about what we're going to talk about, it there's so much to say, and it, mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about what I do and making sure that as many people as possible can get as much information out of me when they're talking to me as possible, because I just think it's important. 
Absolutely. You know, we are on a journey with the Lord. And not everybody's journey looks the same as somebody else's, but there's things that we can always learn from each other. And so, Victoria, I know I know your story, but I want you to share your story, your journey with the Lord, with our audience here. So would you tell me what life has been like along your way? Oh, my gosh. How long is this show? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the reason that I am involved in the work that I am, I guess we should start with Let's that. start with that. That's yeah. probably a good starting point. Um, over 33 years ago, I was a single mother with two little girls and their father, whom I married at 16, by the way. I wasn't wow. pregnant. I was just really stupid <laughs> and very naive. Uh, but I came from a broken home. I, I was so desperate after my parents divorced when I was 10 to have that family unit again. And I think that that influenced me to get married so young because mm. I didn't have to get married, but I chose to get married. And I married a guy who was 19. We were married for about six years. And then he decided he did not want to be married anymore. Mm. And he left. He went from North Carolina where we lived all the way to California. Wow. Now at the time I'm this this mom with a 8 month old and a 3 year old trying to figure out what am I going to do now? I hadn't been working except for a part-time job. Now he's gone. Mm -hmm. He's not sending any support at all emotionally, um, financially and it was up to me. I the I loved my children of course and I was a good mom and so I was determined to do what I needed to do to take care of them. So that's how really where I got to, to what I'm about to share happened as a single mom with two little girls struggling, working from dropping my kids off at 6 a.m. in daycare and picking them up at six o'clock at night as I worked as a real estate paralegal. It was tough. And every morning they're grabbing me and begging me not to leave. I had no choice. Mm -hmm. And uh, their father would promise to send something he never did. He would promise to come and visit them. They'd sit in the front porch with their two suitcases waiting for him. And oh it would be dark, John, and I'd have to drag them in the house because once again, he didn't show up. Mm. And it was tough. So I'm, I wanted to just give you a picture of where I, this is just a very small picture of where I was as a very young 21-year-old uh, with these two kids and working that job and then having to get a second job. It was tough. It was really mm -hmm. tough. So one of my jobs was working at a health club in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there were, of course, men and women there that worked out. And there was one particular guy who paid attention to me at the most vulnerable time of my life when I was crushed. My self-esteem was shot to pieces. I had very little self-worth. I mean, my husband left me, you know, he abandoned me and said, I don't want you anymore. So when this man started paying attention to me and asking me to go out on dates, we did. And I got serious pretty fast. I fell madly in love with him. We talked about marriage. We talked about having our own biological children in the future mm -hmm. and nine months into the relationship it was that uh, dreaded day that i thought oh my gosh wasn't i supposed to start and mm. i didn't and then i went and bought a pregnancy test and realized i was pregnant so when i told him i was pregnant i think i was expecting a different reaction because we were so in love i mean we were yeah. so in love wanting to spend our lives together and uh i didn't get the reaction i thought the reaction was, I don't think we're ready for this. I think we need to wait till we're married. We need to wait till later on. You're already struggling to take care of your little girls. And um, I don't think I'm ready to be a dad yet. And, you know, and, and then when I called the abortion clinic, they 
reiterated everything he was telling me mm-hmm. when I shared the story with them that I was single, I was struggling, I had these two little babies to take care of, I was working 12, 14 hours a day. And the woman at the abortion clinic said, don't you think you'd be selfish as a mom to bring another child into the world when you can barely take care of the two you have? That would be a really selfish thing to do. And you're not there, you know, you're so early in your pregnancy, there's nothing really there. Let's just get you in here, take take care of it. You're young, you can have children later. And that's what she told you. That's exactly what she told me verbatim. And she said, um, you know, we'll take care of it. You'll be fine, et cetera. So on a Saturday morning, I got a babysitter who kept my little girls. I lied and told her I was going shopping. My boyfriend was out of town. He he wasn't even going to be there to take me. And I drove myself the 25 minutes to the abortion clinic in Charlotte. And on the way there, John, I can vividly remember having my hand on my stomach, Mm. telling this as the woman told me was nothing more than a blob of tissue, but speaking to this blob of tissue and telling my unborn child, uh, this is the best decision for you. I'd be really selfish to do this to you. My life is a mess. I can barely take care of your sisters. Uh, please forgive me, but this is what's the best choice for me to make. And and right after I walked out of that abortion clinic, I was never the same. The woman who walks mm-hmm. into an abortion clinic is not the same one who walks out. Wow. And uh, the same woman that I talked to on the phone who secured the appointment, she could tell I was nervous. She could tell that I was unsure, took my hand and, and held it and said, uh, you remember what I told you on the phone? You're going to be fine. You're young. You can have more children later. Leave here. Never think of this again. Hmm. Do you think our government would allow you to go through with this if it was going to harm you in any way? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. And then as soon as I handed her the money, $350 cash, that's how much my baby's life was worth. She looked at me and this sweet, kind, compassionate woman who I thought cared about me said, if you change your mind when you're on the table, don't ask for your money back because we don't give refunds. Oh, wow. It's lies, like Dr. lies, Dr. lies. Mr. Hyde type of thing. It's like that quick of a turn. Wow. That quick of a turn. It was like she, you know, that should have been a clue to me. But when you're a woman that's in, a, in the most vulnerable, desperate spot, as I was, and, that, and so many women are every single day in this country, it's easy to manipulate her. Mm. It's easy to say the things she needs to hear until you get her on that table. And then once they get you on that table and they've got your money, you're nothing but a number to them. I, I asked the doctor as he was walking out of the room, I was crying the whole time and looking at the ceiling. I can vividly remember saying, get out, Vic, get out of here. You know, you don't want to be here. And I couldn't, the words wouldn't come out. But I said to him as he was walking out the door, I said, excuse me, excuse me. Can you tell me what, what was it? Was it a boy? Was it a girl? And he turned around and just threw his hands up and said, I don't have time for this. I can't tell you what it was. You're too early. And he walked out and they took me into the recovery room, said, stay here for 30 minutes. I lasted five minutes. There were women in there on every cot was full. There was wailing and weeping. Women were in shock. They were bent over and I had to get out of there. I knew I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. Yeah. It's, it's a trauma that your body went through and not just your physical body, but your spiritual body, your emotional 
your emotional self there. It, it was. That's exactly what it was. It was traumatic. And what you do is you either let it all come out on the surface or you bury it. And the majority mm-hmm. of women will bury it. It's easier to do that. But then they don't realize a lot of their behaviors afterwards stem from that abortion decision. And I found that to be true in my own life. So how did that express in your own life then? Well, Immediately, I looked at myself differently. As I said, I, I my self esteem was shot. I, my self worth was gone. I felt that I would never deserve to be happy again. My boyfriend and I never looked at each other the same ever. I mm-hmm. thought he was supposed to protect me. He probably looked at me, I'm sure, and thought, I can't believe she actually went through with it. So our relationship deteriorated and ended. It became very abusive as well, and I thought I deserved that too, but. A lot of women think they're going to have an abortion to keep the relationship if the husband or boyfriend doesn't want the child. But nine out of 10 times, the relationships deteriorate and they don't last. It's a constant reminder of what you did when you're around each other. So after our relationship ended, which was devastating to me because we truly, really loved each other. But abortion destroyed us. Mm -hmm. It destroyed our relationship. It destroyed us as people. It changed who we were. And... I, just, I started getting involved with men who were very abusive, uh, that, who uh, cheated on me, mm-hmm. who said very wicked, mean things to me. And uh, I thought I deserved it because that's what I was drawn to were men that I almost, it was like I was drawn to men who I, I knew subconsciously would abuse me because I thought, well, who would I be thinking I could deserve a man to love me? in any other way but this way so everything was skewed i started smothering the two little girls i had i was terrified to let them go anywhere anymore because i thought god was going to punish me by taking one of them for what i'd done i kept friends at a distance i didn't let people in i thought if they found out my secret they would judge me condemn me and hate me so i put walls up all around me put a smile on my face but it was all fake and I became someone I didn't recognize. I didn't, I didn't like myself very much. And it wasn't until I went through post-abortion counseling over a decade later wow. that things started to change for me. When you get sick and tired of, of feeling the way that I felt, and when you, as I did, cry out to God saying, help me, do you hate me this much? Will you help me? And then allowing him to do that. And that's what I had to do. I had to, um, I hit rock bottom. And it was through failed relationships, through abuses, through just things that friends, good friends would didn't understand because they didn't know because I kept that secret. But they'd say, what are you doing? You deserve serve a better person. Than, why are you with him? You know, you deserve so much better than this. And I would think inside. No, actually, I don't. If you knew, you would understand why I really don't deserve better than this. So you have this image of yourself at that point that is totally skewed. You're obviously not looking at yourself the way that God sees you. And your identity is is shot at that point. And you said it took 10 years before you got some post-abortive counseling. How did you come across that? And how did God lead you into that? So glad you asked that because God is was there the whole time. You know, even John in that room, when I was aborting my child, he was there Mm -hmm. and he wept along with me. Um, But I look back, I saw him there always throughout my life because I honestly, some of these guys, I'm lucky 
the situations I had myself in, I was, I'm lucky I didn't come out worse than, than I did. But for three years up to the point where I went through post-abortion counseling, there was a woman named Mary who of all churches, she attended the church where I was started attending. It was an assemblies of God church in North Carolina. And I was very involved in, on the worship team. I was singing on worship. I was leading worship in the youth group. I was uh, singing worship in big church, as we called it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, she kept con- coming to me saying, you're so good with the youth. I-, I would love to get you in as a volunteer at the pregnancy center here in town. I'm the director. I'd love you to come volunteer. You'd be so good. And for three years, this woman, I- I'm telling you, John, I'd go to the mall. I'd go to the grocery store. There was Mary, <laughs> you know, in the, on the chip aisle. And there she was. And and she's, and she's I'd say to her, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come, Mary. I will. One day I will. And deep down inside, I'm going, I will never walk in to that place so that what God is that more punishment for me to, to be reminded of what I've done. So for three years, this went on. Now, in the midst of these three years, our women's pastor came to me, Pastor Terry. And she said, Vic, I'm putting together a women's team of 12 women because we're going to start doing more women's conferences at church. And you're one of the women I feel the Lord put on my heart to ask. And I I looked at her, John, and I said, yeah, you're wrong. He did not tell you to to ask me. She goes, what? What? You know, she was like, what is wrong with you? Um, But I continued to argue with her for a couple months. She would not take no for an answer. (laughs) She said, you are supposed to be on this team. I don't, I don't understand the problem, but nobody knew about my abortion. Right. right. Here I am singing on the worship team, leading worship, working with the youth group, very good friends with the pastor and his wife. Nobody knew because I thought if they knew they'd kick me off of every single program I was working. And one of the other things that I kept doing, saying yes to everything, even though I was drained Because I kept thinking, if I do enough, if I do enough, then I'll stop feeling this guilt and shame from my abortion. So here I am with Pastor Terry, and we're doing these women's conferences. Now, in the midst of all this, Mary, everywhere I go. Yeah, okay. Okay. At these women's conferences, here come women to the altar as we have prayer after the conferences. Whispering in my ear, hey, Victoria, can you pray with me? I had an abortion. So... I mean, over and over again, over, and I'd watch God change them. I'd watch him just, they would be transformed. And every time we would meet afterwards and Terry would say, hey, how did it go? And I'd say, yeah, I got another one that had an abortion. I don't know why that, does anybody else ever get anybody that has abortions? And nobody ever did. It was always me. So I'd go home to God and go, there you go again, throwing it in my face, what I've done. Hmm. And I'd get so angry and have these come to Jesus meetings with him. And, you know, I tell people all the time, don't judge me. He gets me. Uh, he can take it. Okay. He yeah, can take yeah. it. So one day I was at a conference and a woman came up to me for whatever reason. This is the woman that was my breaking point. She comes up to me and she whispers in my ear. She's weeping and weeping at the altar. She said, Victoria, I had an abortion over 30 some years ago. She said, I cannot get over it. And I feel like God can never forgive me. Please, can you pray with me? Because this is a burden I can't carry anymore. So I prayed with her and I watched this woman. It was like right in front of my eyes, like no one before completely be free before me. And she was sobbing tears of joy. She said, I can't, I've been to psychiatrists. I have nothing that I feel free. So I went home that day and I was 
I won't say the word. I was <laughs> so angry. Yeah, yeah. And I went home and I was screaming at God. Nobody was home. And I was yelling at him. I was on the ground, punching my fist to the floor, yelling at him, why do you do this to me? What's so much better about her than me? I thought you're not supposed to love her better than you love me. When is it going to? I was screaming, screaming, screaming. I don't know for how long. And then in this moment, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart. And I know some people think that's weird and cheesy, but you know what? He does. Absolutely. He does. Do he does. That. Absolutely. And he said, I've been trying, mm. but you haven't let me. And right at that moment, I saw Mary's face in my mind. Wow. And the next day I called Mary and I said, Mary, I'm ready to start volunteering. She said, really? That's amazing because next week we have volunteer training. They did volunteer training every quarter, John. Mm-hmm. Here it was starting the following week. So that training, I got involved in pregnancy center ministry work as a volunteer. A long story short, I went to Mary after a couple months and I said, Mary, I need to tell you something because I was struggling. I was folding clothes and which is so important, but I felt this, just this, I don't know how to explain it, this passion inside of me that I had to do more. And like I said, I don't want to say, take away from people that are in pregnancy centers folding clothes. That's so important. Mm-hmm. Every part of a, of a ministry is important. But with me, I just felt this urge that I'm supposed to do something else. So I went to Mary and I said, Mary, I need to tell you something. And I said, I had an abortion. And she looked at me and said, I know. And I'm like, what is it tattooed on my forehead? What do you, what do you mean, you know? And she said, I felt like the Lord showed me that a while wow. ago. And I've been waiting for you to tell me because now we're going to get you in post-abortion healing because God's going to take what the enemy meant to destroy you and turn it into good. And that's what we did. She sent me to post-abortion recovery. It, I was there uh, for a retreat, changed my life. And here I am 23 years now. I've been doing this work. Wow. So if I understand this correctly, you had kept it a secret for how long from basically everybody? Oh my gosh. Um, over a decade. Over a decade. Over a decade. And you were ministering and praying for women and seeing them get freedom, but you yourself still were carrying this secret, this burden within you, not even told the pastor's wife that you were doing these conferences with. They had no clue. No one had a clue. When I wrote my book, they lied to us. Pastor Terry, I live in Nashville. Pastor Terry called me and said, hey, I'm coming into Nashville. I'd love to see you. I said, I'd love to see you too. The book was about to come out. And I thought, you know, I need to tell Pastor Terry. I've already been gone from the church for years because I moved away. Yeah. So she and I went to dinner. And when I drove, I didn't even tell her at dinner. When I drove her to her hotel and was about, she was about to get out of the car. We're hugging goodbye. I said, Mm -hmm. can you give me a second? I pulled my book from the back seat and I handed it to her. I said, I'd like you to read this first chapter. I'm about to cry because it Mm. was just, I, I can remember it. I haven't thought about this in a long time. And I handed her the book and I said, can you just read the first chapter before you get out of the car? And she did. And she turned and looked at me and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, Vic, you had an abortion? And I, I couldn't even talk. She said, Vic, why didn't you tell us? Did you think we wouldn't love you? She said, oh my gosh, Vic, I can't believe you carried this burden on your own and you didn't tell us. We would have been there for you. It was the most beautiful thing, Mm. um, honestly. And uh, we just hugged and embraced. And she and those 12 women are still to this day 
my friends, we text each other all the time. We have such a bond, all of us, and they constantly will text me. I just got one two days ago telling me how proud they are of me for the work I do in pro-life. Wow. So you went from that situation, you wrote your book and everything, and now mm-hmm. you're very involved with the pro-life movement. Tell me about what that looks like now, because you went, we kind of left off your story where you're helping Mary's clinic and you're folding clothes and you've, you told her what happened uh, in your life and she's brought you through the post-abortive care weekend thing. Mm-hmm. What happened next? Because now this is this is a major calling in your life. And so... I mean, a lot of people have gone through those, but haven't taken that next step. Tell me about that next step that God's led you on. Well, when I came back from that post-abortion recovery, I got to tell you what's funny is when I was there on Thursday night was when it started, the two facilitators, Carolyn Rice and Trina Pitts, I looked at them and I was still angry. I mean, John, I'm not a saint. I mean, I was, I was still angry. And I, even though I trusted Mary at this point and she said, you need to do this, I did not want to go. Mm-hmm. And I was kicking and screaming the whole way because here I am, remember, here I am, a woman in women's ministry, leading worship in a church of seven, 8,000 people, oh, wow. good friends with the pastors and their wives, traveled on several missions trips and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and still God had not done anything. So I'm like, this is a waste of my of four days. Um, you know, I think I'm the one girl God's never going to forgive. So, you know, like I'm some, some special case. Well, when I got there that Thursday night, I looked at Carolyn and Trina and said, listen, I'm here because Mary, my director said I need to be here. I don't know how you guys are going to help me. This is probably a waste of your time and my time. I I mean, I was just, I'd like to go back and slap that girl, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I like to slap her, but there were seven other women there with me and they're listening to me throw up and spew all this on them. They're probably like, golly, what what am I doing here? So Carolyn and Trina looked at me with such love and they didn't say, won't you just shut up? Then why did you come? You know, they didn't, they just were so kind. And they said, you know what, Victoria, we're just happy you're here. Mm -hmm. That was it, which Mm -hmm. made me want to hit them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I will, I will tell you this on Sunday, When it was over, I looked at Carolyn and Trina and I said, I'm a different woman and I will be conducting these recovery weekends and doing what you do. And they both looked at me and said at the, almost at the same time in unison, we know God showed both of us that this weekend Wow! and I've been doing that. So I went back to Mary. I ended up several years later becoming the CEO of that center where I started volunteering I started sharing my story um, at churches that would invite me to come and speak or at schools. I started, I wrote an abstinence um, program that Mm. I started sharing in schools and I would share about abortion and what it was and was what it isn't. And I'm talking public schools, youth groups. And then people just started calling me, wanting me to come speak. And someone asked me one time, John, they said, who's your agent? Who do we need to call to book you? And I'm like, I don't have an agent. Holy Spirit's <laughs> an agent. I haven't ever needed an agent. Now, God, God willing, it, I started getting very, very busy. So I ended up, be, I am now with premier speakers and ambassador speakers out of Nashville. Okay. I've been with them now for about 15 years because I couldn't keep up. That was right. all the Lord. And so then I just kept saying yes, saying yes to, to sharing my story. And now today I share all over the country. I just, I was in Italy right before COVID sharing there at a conference and was invited to Italy for goodness sakes. Mm -hmm. So there was this young woman 
who for over a decade was terrified while she was singing on a stage or on a platform or in a pulpit about Jesus. Literally, as I'm singing, I can remember times thinking, are they going to know? Are they going to know? They're going to say, get off of there. Who do you think you are singing? Get off of there. You're a murderer. You're, you killed your baby. I mean, this is what I kept telling myself. So it was terrifying. And now here I am 23 years later. And when I say millions and millions of people have heard my story, Mm. I'm not exaggerating. There's one video that has 13 million streams. Wow. So I'm talking here. I was saying nothing to no one. And and I never asked God for this. I never asked him. I didn't think I'd want to go share that with anybody. Healing was one thing, but telling people, Mm -hmm. but then the Lord said, this is what you're going to do. This is what I've called you to do. And so now I know, and what keeps me going, doing it and feeling very blessed to be able to, is that my child did not die in vain, John, Mm. because of my child's death through abortion. I will never know how many children have been saved from women who've talked to me and said, I saw your video. I heard you speak at a church. I heard you at a banquet. I heard you on TV, wherever it was on a podcast. And I was about to have an abortion. I've gotten so many messages like that on social media through email. So I'll never know. I'll never know. You know, I told you, Rabbi Jason Sobel is a good friend. Yeah, yeah. About a year and a half, Rabbi Jason said to me, Vic, do you believe in the prophetic word? And I said, depends on who's given it, actually. (laughs) That's a good answer. That's a very good answer. Yeah, and he started laughing and he said, well, can I say something to you? And this, Jason and I, Rabbi Jason and I met, actually it's been probably about about two years ago. That's when it was, this was right when we met. Mm. He didn't know me. Okay. And he said, you are a Ruth of this generation. Wow. And there are lives that are saved that you will meet one day because of the ministry God's called you to. And of course I'm bawling. Mm-hmm. And, and then um, he said a few other things that I won't say here that are kind of haven't happened yet. And every time I see him, he's like, Hey, has he showed up? <laughs> I'm like, oh. So anyways, he, he, he was, a, it was an amazing word about the work God's called me to. And it just so blessed me and ministered to me uh, because I don't ever want to be, I, I don't, ever take what I do for granted, John, mm-hmm. ever. I don't think I'm on, I'm not on some pedestal. I don't think that I'm anything special. I'm just a woman who said, okay, God, pick me. I'll, I'll do it. And my father was a very gifted speaker. Um, my brother, my sisters, they're all very gifted and well-spoken. It's just uh, something that God put in me and, and now he's using it for good. Yeah. So I find it interesting that the thing that you had kept secret from everybody for 10 years, you are now blurting it out, not blurting it out, but you're now sharing it publicly. I mean, it, that's quite a drastic change, you know, and I, I'm just reminded yeah. of the fact that, you know, when we confess our sins, God says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, God uses that test to become a testimony. And because of the story that you've been able to share, there's, like you said, there's so many people that are able to find healing because of that. And it is such a private, intimate thing. I mean, the mm-hmm. whole process started in intimacy, and then it kind of stays in this intimate thing where you don't want to let anybody in. 
Can you tell me more about what it means to open up to God and to let him deal with your with this with the sins that you have? Those things that are that are hidden on the inside. Well, you know, the Bible also says the truth will set you free. And I think that can be explained in a lot of different ways. And one of them being the truth is Jesus. One of them being the truth of your lies, there are secrets. Yeah. And I don't I, I when I speak about this, what you're talking about, John, women get a little nervous and they'll tell me, I, I don't want to share. I don't want to do what you're doing. Or are you telling me I've got to do what you're doing? And I tell them, no, God doesn't. There's 120. There's been 64 million abortions since Roe v. Wade. That's with men and women, the mothers and fathers, because these babies had fathers, too. That's 128 million people. Wow. There is a not even a fraction of people like me sharing our abortion stories. So I tell these women and men, don't freak out just because you confess, just because you tell someone you trust, that doesn't mean automatically, oh gosh, now God's going to make me do what I'm doing. It's, right. It doesn't. But I can tell you this, those secrets that are hidden will destroy you. Mm-hmm. Your identity will be those secrets. And when I let that out and when I finally trusted God, it wasn't just Mary. I had to trust God when I walked in Mary's office to tell her I had to trust God was leading me to the right person. Because can you imagine, John, if you go to the wrong person to share a secret with the damage that can do? So God protected me. And that's when I said I look back, even his hand on Mary being at the church, I decided to go start attending. Mm -hmm. Of all the churches in that city, that's where I go, where the only pregnancy center director is at that church. That wasn't an accident. And then for me to be able to share and safely share with Mary, because Mary knew I hadn't told anyone. And Mary wasn't going to betray me, and she didn't. She let it be my decision. So I think what people need to understand, whatever the sin is, whether it's uh, lying, cheating, whether it's adultery, uh, premarital, whatever sex, whatever it is, um, fornication, I mean, pornography addiction, alcoholism, drug, whatever, mm-hmm. those secrets will become you. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so important to not let the enemy have a foothold. And he has one when he's whispering in your ear, like he whispered in mine, if they knew, they wouldn't let you sing. Mm-hmm. Oh, if they knew, they would want to be your friend. Oh, if they knew that whatever, whatever, whatever it was. And I believed him. But once I shared my secret and I wasn't condemned by the people that mattered and I wasn't judged by the people that loved me, they were showing me Christ. So it made me know there. Oh my gosh. Cause the weight that's lifted from you when you share those things, you, it's amazing because now I don't have to walk around looking over my shoulder, wondering who's going to find out, who's going to know, mm-hmm. what are they going to do to me if they do? That's what walking in freedom is all about because there's nothing like it. Yeah, absolutely. Walking in freedom is what God wants us to be walking in. God doesn't want us walking around with our heads down, you know, full of shame. He wants us to know that we are his kids and he's called us by name. He knows who we are. He knows our hurts, habits, and hangups. And he wants to redeem us at all times. Yeah, he does. Victoria, there's so many times people just think that abortion is a women's issue. And you brought up something that a moment ago that was really interesting. I want to focus on that a little bit that you said since Roe v. Wade in 1973, there has been about 40, uh, 64, 64, 64 million abortions. So, 
that means 64 million women have gone to get an abortion. Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure some of them had multiple abortions. That's true. But you can just make an estimate that, hey, there's there's at least 64 million guys or around 64 million guys that are also involved in that, too. Can you talk about the effect that it has on a guy? Because I'm a guy, and I don't quite understand this to the same degree. I am staunchly pro-life, and I will. that's a hill that I believe is worth dying on. Mm-hmm. But as a guy, though, I don't quite understand it the same way. As we were talking earlier, you told me that there's you're doing more with the men in that realm as well. So can you just talk a little bit about that? So, so glad you asked that. Um, I, I will tell you this. After I went through post-abortion counseling— I, it, it, there's a process you go through about forgiveness and you have to forgive, you know, the doctors, the, the abortionist, the people who talked you into it, the, the father, whatever, even, even yourself. Mm-hmm. And you go through all this. Well, I thought I had forgiven the father of my aborted child. We had not talked in over 10 years wow. because we went our separate ways and I really never wanted to be around him again. Mm-hmm. But Interestingly enough, we were in the same circle. We had a lot of the same friends. Thank God we never ran into each other. And we didn't. Hmm. But I would hear about him. I'd hear about his life and how he was doing this or that. And I would inside think, oh, I guess his life just went on as normal. And he didn't have to think about it. And here I am dealing with all this crap from what he made me do. Although I made the choice to walk in. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't put a gun to my head. I want to make that clear, but he did. All I needed him to do was say, we can do this. That's all I needed. And there's no way out of that. I knew the outcome of the pregnancy. I had two Mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. So he knew I was struggling, Um, but that's all I needed from him. But I take full responsibility. I just want to make that clear. Well, after I went through post-abortion counseling and then I wrote, started writing my book when my book was finished I thought I need to call him and tell him, even though in my book, there's no, um, there's no way anybody would know who I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. but I still felt like he should know. I don't know. I just felt this, this feeling of calling. And and I want to say this though, John, if you're listening, if somebody's listening and they've had an abortion, I am not encouraging you to call their post-abortive mother or father, the the person you had a child with that you sure. aborted. Do not do that. You, if you have not gone through healing, you have, you should not be doing that. That's not a good idea. But I had been through healing, feeling like I had, you know, done the work I needed to do. I wrote the book. So I called him because I knew he'd hear about the book. Mm-hmm. We had all these friends. Sure. When I called him, he heard my voice. Now, remember, we had not talked since we broke up over a decade, maybe 11, 12 years. Wow. He answers the phone. I have a unique voice and he recognized my voice immediately. All I said was hi. And he started to weep. He could barely talk. I could not understand what he was saying. Um, and he said, I've been waiting for this call for over a decade to beg you for forgiveness, to tell you how sorry I am for what I made you do. I should have protected you and our child. And I didn't, I failed you both. It has haunted me all these years. And I've been in therapy for eight years dealing with it. Can you ever forgive me? Now, two things happened to me in that moment. One, I realized, gosh, I really haven't forgiven him. Hmm. Not completely. Um, There's probably a little residual left. But in that moment, I said, yes, I do forgive you. 
And it was such a relief for me. You know, so many people think that unforgiveness hurts the other person, but it's like taking poison, expecting them to die. Right, right. And and right at that moment, I felt even more freedom than I'd already experienced from post-abortion counseling. But the second thing that I felt the Lord spoke to my heart so clearly was don't forget about these men. They're hurting too. And they were the fathers. So ever since that day, it changed everything about the work that I was in. I was always talking about the women, the women, the women up to that point. Now, even my book was all about the women, the women, the women. Now, since that day, I have always included men wherever I speak. And without fail, they'll come to me at my book table and say, hey, they're sometimes whispering, mm-hmm. hey, thanks for, for mentioning men because I'm, I'm a post-abortive dad. Nobody ever talks about us. They think we're, we're you know, the ones who aren't hurting. I'm hurting too. And whether they paid for it, talked her into it, didn't know she was pregnant and found out later, or they drove her there, it, it, whatever they can, or even supported her decision, it didn't matter. I've met men from all walks. They're hurting. They tell me they've become alcoholics. They've become drug abusers, workaholics. They don't, they, they, they can't connect with women or sometimes their own children. They don't understand why. I spoke uh, about a year and a half ago at New Cayman Ministries, New Canaan Ministries for Men. They don't ever have women speak, John, ever. Hmm. But I spoke and there were, I don't know how many hundreds of men were at this event. They waited in line outside in Orlando, Florida in the middle of the day up to an hour and a half to talk to me. Wow. Some of them sharing that they, for the first time they had an abortion in their past. Some of them telling me they realized, cause I shared the story with you. I just shared and talked about the men and I talked about my own story and they were, some were telling me, I haven't even told my wife yet. Some were saying, now I think I understand why I do X, Y, Z. So men are important and they need to be in the discussion because they are hurting too. Yeah. At my church, my pastor says that, you know, men are called to lead, feed, guide, and protect their families. And so if we aren't able to do that, then there's an issue because that's part of our identity that God has given us as men that is not being fulfilled, that is not being followed through, that there's this disobedience because we are not doing that. And so to have that issue made right again for a guy— and get back in line is is huge. Mm-hmm. I, I love what you just said that you know some of those guys said, I think that's why I do this. And he listed whatever that is. You know, there's so many guys that are hurting because of the things that they've done in the past and they can't forgive themselves. You're right. And and a lot of them don't know why they're doing. I didn't know right. why I was smothering my children. I didn't know why I became this helicopter mom. I didn't know why I was scared every day something was going to happen to them. I really didn't come to that resolve until I understood what post-abortion stress was, what mm-hmm. post-abortion trauma was. And so these men are going, wait, that's a light bulb moment for me. I, I, right. I get it now. And I will tell you as a woman, when my, the father of my aborted child said to me, I'm so sorry. My job was to protect you. It, it felt, as a woman, it felt this, there was this redemption mm-hmm. that I felt that, thank you for saying that. And, yeah. but, and then think about this, John. You just said it so perfectly about what men were created. Women were created to be nurturers. We're yep. mothers. So when a woman realizes, I ended the life of my own child, it is tough. 
and difficult yeah. for her to come to terms with that. That's why she buries it or she drinks or she becomes promiscuous. She mm -hmm. looks for anything to, to dull, to kill the pain. It's the same with men. When they realize that was my child, I did not even protect my own child. Yeah, It's difficult. And that's why, as we were talking about earlier, people that are hurting because of abortion must find a safe place to go to Absolutely. confess it. That's the start and the road to healing. You know, speaking of confessing that, you know, we're, we're called to bear each other's burdens. You know, as the body of Christ, we're called to lift each other up and bear each other's burdens and to, and to not walk alone. You made mention earlier about that conversation in that car where you had your pastor read that book. And I loved her response in that moment. Yeah. We didn't know we would, we would have been there for you. And can you just talk about that finding the community so that you can not walk alone? Yeah, it's so important. And hopefully you have a church that you have that community. Uh, but unfortunately, some people don't, they don't have it. They don't either go to church or they don't feel included at their church. They feel disconnect, whatever the case is, but everybody has, I hope somebody they trust. And I'll, I, I will tell you that when you show Christ's love to someone like Pastor Terry showed me in that car, like my daughters showed me when I told them, that was a very difficult conversation that I thought, okay, I'm telling my daughters I aborted their sibling. Their mother had an abortion. How are they going to respond? When, when you're that terrified, that is what, why it's so important to let the Lord lead you. Honestly, I believe to the right person mm -hmm. because you can also go to somebody. I've heard the horror stories from, I've been blessed. And now I've had people call me a murderer, yeah. but I'm through healing. So, you know, it's like, I feel sorry for you, buddy, that you would say, I was speaking at an event a year ago here in Nashville and a guy from the crowd is yelling murderer to me. He wouldn't shut up. So they had to escort him out. But I knew in the crowd this size, John, that I needed to address it mm. because there were people in the crowd who had had abortions and they're sitting there. They haven't gone through healing like me. Right, right. They're sitting there going, yeah, I know, but that is what we are. That is what we are. So I did. I addressed him and I addressed the crowd because they needed to know, hey, you guys, we need to pray for that guy. Mm. And, and so I, people have to understand that in that car with Pastor Terry, or in a car with you, if you're the one someone confesses to or your church, wherever it is, it's kind of like that moment when your child does something. It can either be a learning moment or it can be a moment where you really screw things up big time. Think about it. Take a deep breath if someone confesses that to you and show them what Christ would show them. Because look, if anybody on here that's listening or anybody I talk to in any crowd because you haven't had an abortion, you think you've arrived? Let's play that lion <laughs> demon out of you right now. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. So you made mention about something that I, I, I really did want to ask you about. Talking to your daughters about what happened and confessing to them. How old were they whenever you told them? And what was going on there? Okay, so my two younger girls, who are now 28 and 24, they were very, very young. So I didn't, I didn't, they, they, I weren't, I wasn't as concerned about them. My two older girls were, um, when I wrote my book, when the book was about to be published, they were, I think like 14 and 11, 12. So I kept feeling like, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to have this book come out when my own daughters don't know? So the book wasn't ready yet. So mm -hmm. I started praying John and telling the Lord, all right, Lord, 
I've got these daughters who were there with the sitter that day Yeah. when I drove to an abortion clinic who are old enough now that if this book comes out, their friends' moms might read it. I can't, this book cannot be published without my girls knowing. So I'll right, keep right. writing it, Lord, but I'm not publishing it without my girls knowing. So you better figure it out. This is on you. You're the one who asked me to write the book. You know, well, here's what happened. I came home from the volunteer training. Remember that I told you about mm-hmm, one of the mm-hmm. volunteer training days. I come home and it was the day that I pulled in the driveway was the day we went through the embryonic stages in volunteer training. Now, when they got to six weeks and I saw the six weeks, I knew then. And the first thought, which is why I called my book, they lied to us Mm. was they lied to me. Mm. I didn't say it out loud because none of these women knew. Remember that I had had an abortion because Mary didn't know for a couple more months. Mm -hmm. So here, these precious women on the volunteer training, looking at this embryonic stages of the baby going, how can a woman have an abortion? Look at this. This is a baby. And there, and I'm sitting there going, I know it's terrible. You know, thinking, do they know? Can they tell? Can they tell? So that day was when I had the realization of what I'd done Mm. in a way I never had. It wasn't a blob of tissue. It wasn't a clump of cells. That baby had a heartbeat. That baby had arms and legs. That baby had a little body and a head. So when I pulled into the driveway, I cried the whole way home. I was over on over my steering wheel, cr- sobbing like uncontrollably for about two hours. Wow. So my oldest daughter, Taryn, comes into the car and she gets in the car and I'm hysterical. And she says, mommy, mommy, I saw the car pull in. And then I thought, where's mommy? I knew I saw you pull it in. What is happening? What is wrong? Did somebody die? Because mm. I was hysterical. Yeah. And I said, yeah, somebody did. And she was getting upset and said, oh my gosh, mommy, what's happened? What's happened? And I felt the Lord say, tell her. Hmm. So I said, yeah, somebody died. And when I tell you, you may never look at me the same. And I told her and she held me and she just wept. And she said, mommy, you could have told me it, nothing you could ever do will change how I look at you, mommy. You're mm. such a good mom. Jesus forgives you. I forgive you, mommy. I'm so sorry. She just was more concerned about me. Yeah. So we had our moment and I said to her, please don't tell your sister. I'm, I'll tell her when I feel at the time, but do not tell your sister. And, and she knew I was talking about the, her, the, 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 my second daughter. She said, I won't mommy. So that happened. So, you know, this is truly really what I did. Mm. I went in my bedroom, I washed my face, and then I was like, okay, fine, that's one. I mean, I was like, I mean, I think I'm all that. It's like God keeps just like, you know what? Sit down over here, little girl. Just just be quiet. But I did. I was like, okay, Lord, well, that's just one daughter. So um, it wasn't much longer after that that I was getting ready to go to the store, and my second daughter, Tawny, said, Mommy, can I go with you to the store? And I said, yeah, sure, babe. So she jumps in the car and we're driving down the road. And I haven't, I didn't tell you this, but when I was pregnant with my second daughter, you know, the husband that abandoned me and wanted nothing to do with the three of us. Mm -hmm. 
he beat me up and tried to cause an, a miscarriage oh. because I wouldn't go through with an abortion. Um, the day that I was going to have an abortion because he was forcing me, I, I couldn't do it. So the next day he put me in the hospital. Mm. He literally kicked me in the stomach and said that ought to do it when I was on the ground after he threw me to the ground. But she survived. Oh my gosh. Well, Tawny says to me, mommy, why didn't you tell me my dad didn't want me? Earlier that day, she had found a letter that I wrote to him about what he, what he almost did and what a joy she is. And, and I was in the car driving with her. I almost drove off the road. And she said, I've always felt like he didn't want me. And she said, now I, it's true. He didn't want me. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, mommy, you never told me he wanted you to have an abortion. My gosh, John, you keep making me cry. And I said, honey, why would I tell you that? Why would I ever tell you? I never wanted you to know that. I said, Tony, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I can't imagine my life without you. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to tell her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you serious now? I don't want to tell her now. He said, you need to tell her. Hmm. So we're still driving. And I looked at her and I said, Tony, I'm so thankful God stopped me and you're here because your dad is the one who missed out. Mm. But I do need to tell you something. And I told her. And once again, my precious daughter just wept. And Tawny was always involved in the March for Life. And she had this sign in her room that said abortion is murder. She'd had it in there for probably a year or two. Mm. And she literally said to me, John, I'm so sorry, mommy, that you've had to look at that sign every day. She said, I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. And I said, Tawny, I'm so proud of you. I said, it's the truth. And I'm so proud of you. And so that's how Tawny knew. And then that's when I knew it was time for my book to be published and released. Oh, wow. Wow. I, uh, your daughters had the sweetest response they to did. the hurting mother. They really, they, really did. They had a Jesus is, response, just like Pastor Terry. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's what I'm saying. When people share their deepest secrets with us, we have to respond in love and with compassion, not with condemnation and judgment, because not one of us is worthy of what Christ did on that cross. Not one of us, Mm. but he still did it. So who are we to judge whatever anyone's done? So that response that I received from them, that response I received from Pastor Terry, from so many others, from the women's group, that the women that I was part of, when they each found out, they embraced me and loved me. That, that is what heal was part of my healing, John. That yeah. was, it made it come full circle. And the enemy could no longer lie to me. Because right now he's lying to so many people saying, if they knew, mm-hmm. they'd think this about you. If they knew, they'd hate you. If they knew, they'd condemn you. If they, no, they wouldn't. That man calling me a murderer, it's water off my back. That says more about him than me. My identity is now in Christ. It is not in my abortion. Yeah. And that's such an important thing to have healing and to know that your identity is not wrapped up in your past failures, but in the one who has 
made your past, the present and the future and made it complete and whole. And, you know, we're, we're walking with Jesus in our life and whether we know that he's there or not, he is. And the theme for this podcast, it comes down to this, where was your heart burning along the way, but you didn't realize it until you look back when you just realize that, you know what, Jesus was really there with me, but I just didn't realize it. I was too focused on other things or I was just distracted or just caught up in, in anything but Jesus. But now I look back and I see Jesus was actually right there. Oh my gosh, John, that goes back to my childhood. Um, to, if, if I'm being honest, cause I had a pretty rough childhood and there were so many, so many things that, that are, are very sad and tragic. Um, my father was a very, very heavy alcoholic. And my mother was a very angry uh, woman who blamed, I was the oldest, so I got blamed for most everything. And there was just a lot of, of sad things in my childhood. I'll leave it at that. But he was always there. I can tell you, looking back, he was always there with some with a neighbor who who took me under their wing, with someone who fed me when I needed food, um, when someone who was just kind when I thought all people were bad. Mm. It was all him, mm. and that's why we have to realize we are Jesus. I mean, we're we're when he's in us, we are a, a representation of him and we carry him wherever we go and how we respond. And listen, that doesn't mean I always respond well to my own children when they were younger or, or to people today. Sometimes I want to smack people. You know, that, <laughs> I, I want to be like, Jesus, can I put you aside right now? I just want to punch this person in the face and I'll come back and pick you up. But so, <laughs> so I'm definitely not any, I haven't arrived, but mm-hmm. gosh, thank the Lord. I'm not where I used to be. I'm just not where I need to be yet. But, and I'll never arrive until he comes back and gets me. I'm always going to be a work in progress. Uh, but I think I recognize now, gosh, Lord, even that little girl who, who was just saying, I read this book from Judy Bloom called, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, when I was about nine years old. And I bought that for my granddaughter. I wanted her to read it. She's 11. And even reading this little book, and it's not a Christian book. It's just about a, little, a young girl. But she always says, hey, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And she'll talk to him, God, in the book. I read that book and started going, can I do that? Hmm. Hey, are you there, God? It's me, Vicky. When I was younger, I was Vicky. Don't ever call me Vicky. But when I was younger, <laughs> I was Vicky. Um, and I'd say, because I, I don't know about this guy. And I'd be talking, thinking, are you listening? You know what he was? Yeah. He was listening. And um, so his hand's been upon me all my life. Even all the bad that's happened have formed me who I am. Does Do I think God wanted me to choose abortion? Of course not. Do I think God wanted me to choose the relationships I was in in my past? No, of course not. But I didn't want to listen. I wanted to do it my way. And even when I knew God's way was better, I still, but today I've been single a long time. I've been single for nine years and mm. people tell me all the time, why are you still single? You're too picky. You're, you know, I'm like, you know what? It's me and Jesus. And if it's me and Jesus till I'm 80 years old and alone, it'll be me and Jesus. If he, it, it, I'm okay with that. I'm content with where I am today. But then there are those days I go, Hey Lord, where is he? <laughs> so I mean, you know, I, I'm human, but my point is when he's all to you 
when he truly is all to you, you're content. You're just, there's a peace and a contentment that takes place. And I'm so glad I finally figured that out. Yeah. How do you stay, how do you keep your heart sensitive so that you don't miss Jesus in the moment right now? I, I think I, I don't allow myself, take myself too serious. I, I, I think I make sure that I realize I am nothing without him. When I was with a friend one time, John, and she's not a believer, and we pulled into a parking spot, and I was, it was a great parking spot. The place was packed, mm-hmm. and a car pulled out right when I pulled up, and I pulled in. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this parking lot space. And she looked at me and goes, why do you always thank him for everything? It's a parking space, Vic. And I said, because he saved this for me. <laughs> because <laughs> there, you know, or if someone says to me, that was so, your post today, it was so profound. I was just talking to my friend this morning about this. We were talking about this very thing. Michelle Pilar is one of my really close friends and she's a Christian artist and she's had, I mean, Michelle is amazing. And we were talking about this very thing. And and I said, Michelle, it's so funny because to some people, I won't say that's not me. Trust me. That's totally God. He just inspires me to write something with that, whatever it is. I truly believe he inspires everything I do as long as I stay focused. But Michelle said this to me, she goes, but Vic, it's your partnership with him. Mm, If you didn't let him do it, you wouldn't write those things. So you, so I'm not telling you to be all haughty and take credit for a bunch of, she said, that's not what I'm saying, but I want you to understand that you're always obedient. And that's why he keeps using you to do those things. And he trusts you with what he can have you say. And so that, that to me is like, so, humbling. And so I'm blessed by that. I'm not arrogant, but I'll be darned if I'm going to sit here and say, I'm not one of God's girls. Cause I am, and I don't apologize for it. Yeah. And I have favor with him and I'm okay with that too. That doesn't mean I get everything I want and everything goes well, but I know that if think I told you I'm about to buy a new townhouse, if it doesn't work out and I close this then ne- the next week or so, or I don't, I'm like, Lord, if I'm not supposed to live there, I don't want it Right. as much as I love it. I don't want it if it's not from you. Um, it's the same thing with everything in my life. I try to say, gosh, Lord, I really want that. Why didn't you give me that? And later on find out, oh, that's why. That's yeah. why that didn't happen. So I don't know if that answers your question. but No, it, it does. Uh, and In various different ways, it does. We've got various parts of your story throughout your life, from being a kid to being a, you know, a young teenage wife and all these different stages of your life. Vicki, if you could go, or did you just before, say Vicky? I did say Vicky. I know you I did. did. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You just told me about that. But. Okay. You're forgiven. Oh, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, if, if you could go back in time and visit yourself in one of those phases of life and give yourself a piece of information, give yourself an encouragement or something that this version of Victoria needs to know this. What stage of life, or like, basically set the scene? What's going on in that scene, and what would you tell yourself? Um, I think it would be when I was younger, and my parent. Right after my parents got divorced, I would go back and tell that little girl um, that just because your dad left doesn't mean God will, mm. and just because your dad wasn't the earthly father you needed. God, God is still here and God is going to be the father to you that you need. And, um, I would tell her, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. Believe who he says you are and not who 
the enemy says you are because it's not the truth. Yeah, that's that's really interesting that, uh, you know, the, the childhood wounds that we have really have a way of affecting us if we don't deal with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful to hear your story of how God has, has healed you from various early wounds. Now you're able to use those scars to help bring healing to other people. Uh, would you just speak to somebody right now that is maybe considering an abortion or maybe whether it's a, a woman or a man, they're considering having an abortion or they're just feeling overwhelmed or they've had an abortion and they just feel like God can never accept me again. Could you just minister to somebody in that situation right now? Yeah. What I would say to you is, is um, first of all, if you're about to walk into an abortion clinic, don't. No matter what you think, how hard it's going to be, abortion is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And it's a, it's a challenge, sure, if you're in a crisis pregnancy, but there is nothing God will not take you through with this pregnancy. And it, if you are going to believe the lies that um, God can't do that, then you are so sadly mistaken because there is nothing that's going to bring your baby back. Nothing. Once, once you, once it's done, it's done. And there have been many, many, many people throughout my career, John, who have said to me after I've ministered to them and told them why you don't want to go through an abortion, telling them my story and the after effects and, 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 and they go through with it anyway, because I, we, you know, they're not all going to not do it that have called me the next day or within weeks, begging me, begging me to, to bring their baby back Mm. to change what they did. And can you fix it? Fix it, Vic, please fix it. What did I do? Why didn't I listen to you? Why didn't I listen to you? I get right now you're afraid. I get it. But that fear is not from the Lord. And I promise you, if you make the right choice, he will meet you where you're at. And people will come into your life that you will wonder where did you come from? And how did this, how did you know I needed you? Mm-hmm. But here's the last thing I would say to you, if that, to that person who's considering abortion, seven months from now, eight months from now, six, however far along you are, when you hold that baby, you will not look at that baby and say, I wish I had killed you. Wow. I can guarantee it. And for those who've already had abortions, I would say to you, find your local pregnancy center in your town where you live. The majority of them offer post-abortion healing. Get in post-abortion healing. Take that first step. Doesn't mean you have to tell family. If there's anybody you don't want to tell, don't tell them. Go to the pregnancy center first. Get in touch with me. Hmm. Get in touch with me, Victoria at SaveTheStorks.com or uh, I'm sure that that um, John can put up my information. Get in touch with me. I will help you find that center. Or if it doesn't have it, I'll help you find the resource that you need to get that help. Don't live another day with the guilt, regret, and shame that comes from abortion. That is not what God wants for you. He can use you. He can redeem your life. He will forgive you. All you have to do is ask him. Amen. Amen. And yes, I will be putting your contact information in the show notes. So it'll be just an easy link that people can click and email you or connect with you um, with any of those resources that you want to that you want to give me later on. But what is a life verse that you have that is something that has just kind of helped you stay anchored to the rock? 
my favorite verse, there's so many, but Psalm 91 is one of my favorites. She who do, I, I put in she, she who dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, you are my fortress, my rock, my God, in whom I trust. And that's just one of my favorite, but I have so, so many. And um, I, I, I just, I think that too many people have a Bible sitting on their shelf and they have, they, they don't even understand what it's mm-hmm. about or, or the person that it's about. And when people tell me, God doesn't speak to me, you say that you feel like God said this, or he nudged you this way or the Holy Spirit. And I tell them, you know what, you want God to talk to you? open up your Bible and start reading it out loud. If you want an audible voice, cause it's right in there. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much that God wants to speak to us and the word of God. It is the written word of God. It's there. You don't have to wonder, is this the word of God? No, it is. You don't have mm-hmm. to think somebody's just making this up to make me feel good. Honestly, if you, as you read the Bible, yeah, you will feel good, but there's times the Bible brings conviction and it says, Hey, this is how God wants us to live. And, you know, there is a right and a wrong for, you know, situation. There's right and wrong choices that we make. You know, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So whether you're, whether you've dealt with an abortion or anything like that, we've all sinned. We've all made ourselves at enmity with God. We've all become enemies with God. Mm -hmm. And so if you are coming to this realization that I am not where I need to be with God, I want to let you know that Romans 623 or or 323 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I always get those two references confused, Mm -hmm. but the gift of God is eternal life. And God has a gift for us. And that's receiving Jesus, receiving Jesus's death on the cross as our atonement for our sins, as a way to make everything brand new. Jesus doesn't want you to remain in your sin. He doesn't want you to, to stay there because when you're, when you're in your sin, you're stuck. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You're just trapped. But Jesus is offering freedom for you right now. And if this is something that your heart is burning within you, I want you to reach out to us. Reach out to me. Reach out to Victoria. And we want to talk to you about Jesus and how he can change your life if you just make him the forgiver of your past and the leader of your future. And I'm just grateful, Victoria, that we've had this opportunity to talk and to hear your story. And there's been plenty of times where I've had to turn my microphone down so you couldn't hear me getting choked up too. So don't feel too bad that you were getting choked up because what you shared is so important. It is so real. And so many people are dealing with those situations as well. But because of the things that you've shared, people will find freedom along their way. I hope so, John, because I I really just, that's the reason I share. It's not honestly to hear myself talk. Um, It's a painful, painful um, time of my life to talk about, but it's worth it. It's worth it if somebody hears it and it changes their life where they decide I'm going to get the help she's talking about. Because like you said, God is offering freedom to everybody. And when, when you don't, especially Christians, this is to Christians, when you don't accept God for what he did on the cross, what Christ did on the cross for you, it's, I say this all the time. It's like walking up to Jesus as he's hanging there, dying, slapping him in the face saying, that's not good enough. Mm. Um, so I, my prayer is for freedom for all of you, Yeah. for whatever that sin is, don't let it hold you in bondage. That is not when God says he wants you to walk in freedom. He means it. And 
it's pretty cool walking in freedom. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Now, Vicki, is there any uh, Victoria? Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to edit that one out. because that, that, No, uh, you're not. Do no, not edit that no, out. I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Victoria, thank yes. you. Um, how can people get a hold of you? you? You mentioned your email address. Is there any websites that, that can be resources for people? I'll, I'll put all these links in the show notes, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the ministry. Yeah. Find out well, I, my website, I don't have a new website up yet. We're working on it now. Um, let me give my personal web uh, email as well. It's rvictoriarobinson at gmail.com. So you can reach out to me there. Um, I'm on Facebook, social media, it's Victoria Robinson. A lot of people, you know, I have this love hate thing with social media, John. I really, I wish I could get off of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I hate, I, I really do. I have a love hate thing, but it makes such a difference. I'm able to connect with so many people right. about this issue. So I continue to stay there. So follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, reach out to me. I will respond. And I appreciate that you will respond. I truly know that you do, and that's that's an awesome thing that you're not just saying that. Victoria, I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to join you along your way. Thank you for having me, John. Any time. I hope that you were touched by our conversation. Victoria is a passionate woman of God and is being used to bring awareness and point to resources so that women don't have to feel broken or alone. I'm so grateful for Victoria and people like her who are willing to share their testimonies, even when it is difficult. But those can bring some amazing healing to the broken. I pray that if this conversation affected you and you need to connect with someone to get help, that you do talk to someone and get the help that you need. I'll be providing her links as well as her email address in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this episode. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey. And may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way. Along the Way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find tons of spirit-filled content from their vast catalog of podcasts, including my Monday through Friday news stories for the Charisma News Podcast. Go to CPN Shows to see the full list and latest episodes.